Hi, welcome to Adoption, the journey of becoming chosen. My name is Emily and I'm really grateful that you're here. Um, If this is your first time tuning in, I would suggest just listening to episode one. It gives some backstory on how this all came to be and a little bit more about me. But if you're tuning in for the second time, thanks so much. And I just appreciate your support and have been so encouraged by just the feedback and um, the stories that I've already started to hear. And that was my greatest hope. So thanks so much for letting me into your living rooms and your on your walks and as you just kind of figure out what to do during this strange time of quarantining. Um, yeah, this episode is called No One Looks Like Me. And as I shared in the first episode, I grew up in a pretty white community and a white family and um, didn't really realize how different I looked from everyone else. Um, so I remember being young and for Christmas, I would ask for yellow hair whenever I was drawing myself um, with yellow hair, hoping one day I would have it. And, you know, when I was younger and I would tell that story, I would just kind of laugh and be like, oh, yeah, that's so funny. But, you know, as I've grown up, I've realized, you know, that was kind of an indicator of how different I felt and that I didn't feel pretty or I didn't feel normal and I felt pretty outcast and, um, Yeah, so for Christmas, I would always ask for yellow hair, and um, I never got it because I think when I was young, I didn't really understand how that worked, and so um, I had a hairdresser, her name was Lisa, who just, honestly, looking back, she was just so supportive of me and always talked about how she would never ruin my hair, she would never color it for me because my hair was so beautiful, natural, and people would just would love to have my color hair and it was so black and um she was just such uh encouragement and I never dreaded going to get my hair cut because she always kind of pumped me up and hyped me up and um super grateful for that and so um it was a place where even though I was trying to change how I looked and I was trying to fit in um she just didn't want that for me and I'm really grateful to that to her for that Um, there was another story that I wanted to share. Um, one of my best friends growing up, her name was Jennifer. Um, she had super blonde hair and got this thing called Sunnin. And if if you were alive and well in the nineties, you remember Sunnin. I think it's still around, but basically you would like put it in your hair and then you go outside and it's supposed to make your hair more blonde. And, um, I don't know if, I don't know if I ever told Jennifer this. So if you're listening now, you know, Um, when I would go to her house a couple times, I would try to put the sun in my hair when I went to the bathroom and go outside to see if it worked. And lo and behold, it never did because it wasn't intended to, um, change really dark hair to light hair. It was just to help light hair become lighter. Um, but again, I just was looking for ways to connect to other people because, I felt like I had all of these life experiences that were so different and all I wanted to do was feel like everyone else and feel like I belonged. Um, And so flash forward to junior high, middle school, 
um, you know, we started having dances and you would dress up and you would or wouldn't have a date. I mean, you would maybe have a date, but you would never talk to them, much less look or dance with them during the actual date, during the actual dance or the event. But, you know, we would say, oh, I'm going with so-and-so. And, um, I mean, part of just going to a dance, you know, you get your hair done, you get your makeup done, and then you go to the tanning bed. And, um, I was darker than every single other person in the world in my, or in my world, in my town. And so I wanted to go to the tanning bed too. And my mom obliged and let me go. And because everyone else around me always complained about being so pale, I would also complain about being pale and I would be like, oh my gosh, these tan lines and, uh, like I just like dreamed of days that I would have tan lines because it felt like I could contribute to a conversation and relate to my peers. And, um, yeah, so I went to the dating bed a little bit of seventh and eighth grade and never went back after that because I realized I didn't really need to. But I went because that was just part of the junior high, middle school experience. The reality is I could go on and on about all these stories about my physical appearance and how I did feel other and I f- did feel different. Um, one, one I'll leave for later is I used to try to give myself split ends because a lot of my friends had split ends and I never understood why I couldn't have them. And so I've, I've later learned to see that as a blessing. So um so there's there's one part of me that I knew that I was different and I didn't look like anyone and um there were times when I did have someone when I was younger ask me if my when I was born if my mom pooped on me and because my skin was dark and it didn't really hit me I was kind of like uh I don't know like I was so young um but again these questions where people mean well it just is just this constant reminder that you are not like them so when i was in i think fourth and fifth maybe sixth grade my mom um had found this place called korean culture camp and i've since learned that there was a couple other people i've met along the way who also went to those and basically it was a place for any kid who was adopted from korea to get to go and experience their culture and their heritage and I just remember going there and being like I don't look like these people and to be honest I didn't like going I loved camp but I didn't like to be connected to the idea that I was Korean because I had just come to learn that that wasn't something that made me happy it was something that made me feel isolated and like I didn't belong anywhere and so I loved camp. I loved meeting people, but I didn't love being connected to being Korean. And um, that was probably the first cognitive memory I have where I really had rejected myself. I rejected where I came from. I rejected my culture. I rejected uh, my DNA. And a, a large part that I've learned was really because I had felt so abandoned by Korea and I felt like I had no place um, 
owning the fact that I was Korean. I didn't know how to eat with chopsticks. I didn't like kimchi. I couldn't speak the language. Um, it that that whole culture felt almost other to me. And so, yeah, I went to that camp with a few other people and um, it, it was something that I look back on and I wish that I could have embraced it more, but I think there was this fear inside of me um, that if I was to like Korean things and the culture that I might get abandoned all over again. And of course, I didn't have those words, but um, that's how I felt. When um, I was in high school, there were a few other students at my school who were adopted even at the same time as me, but we kind of kept our distance from one another. And um, I would be interested to hear their perspective now looking back, but we all didn't really like clump together. It wasn't like safety in numbers. It was almost like oil and water. And we just kind of said hi and waved and then went on our way. But um, adoption, being Korean, it just wasn't part of my identity. It was something that I really had fully rejected. And um, when I was 17, we went to China to adopt our youngest sister, Carissa, who's now a junior in high school. And we were there and it was, I don't know, 20 families and all of them were white. And as we walked around, there would be people in China stopping us wanting to take pictures. And I understood that it was because it's like, oh, we're American. So they're taking pictures with us and they're doing like the, the peace sign. And um, I mean, this went on every single day, constantly. And at one point I said something like, um, why do they keep taking pictures with all of us white people? And everyone kind of laughed and looked at me and was like, well, you're not white. And I was like, well, you know, it's like the same thing. I just assumed because, again, I didn't see myself as this Asian person. I didn't think other people saw me that as well. But throughout the trip, there would be multiple times people would um, talk to me like they thought I was the translator or um, just talk to me as if I knew Chinese. And that was really surprising to me because I had never been somewhere where I looked like everyone else. And yet when I was there, I still felt just as different there as I did at home. In fact, I probably felt more different there than I did when I was back home. There was this one day in particular, um, we went to a village and as we were getting back on this bus, um, there was just like a row of people just sitting with buckets, you know, begging for anything. And um, I, I hadn't grown up seeing poverty up close and personal. That just wasn't where I came from. And so there was something that clicked and I got really overwhelmed. And I remember sitting on the bus and I just was crying and I couldn't really come up with the words yet. But later I it kind of hit me that I was like, oh my gosh, like this could have been my sister's first of all. Um, but this could have been me. And again, it was just kind of this aha moment that I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that my life could have been so different. And I just, I just felt like 
this different kind of connection to my story and where I was from. And I didn't, I didn't hold on to that very long because it, it was just a lot and it was a little bit too painful at 17 to try to digest. But um, I will never forget the little girl's face I saw um, right before I got on the bus. And I, I will never forget her face. It was a very pivotal moment in my life. And I remember coming back and just felt, um, I just felt different and I couldn't really explain it, but it was, um, just kind of this connecting point that there was something deeper within me that I was going to need to, at, at some point, be brave enough to dig down and figure out what that was all about. I think it was 2007. Yeah, it was 2007. And I had recently got involved with this ministry called Young Life, which you should look it up if you're interested. Um, it's actually, I work for the organization now, but um, there's this thing called summer staff. And basically what you do is you go to one of these amazing summer camps and you serve for a month and um, you do it for free. You volunteer and you're paid basically with your like room and board and all your meals. And so I had never done something like that. I never went to camp as a camper, but I was like, I'm in. So um, I was in college and so I showed up and um, on the first day, I, I don't know if I got paired with, the, with him or if we just found each other. Or I don't know, but his name is Rob and um, it was evident that he was some kind of Asian. And so we were partners on this first night and I don't remember we had to do something where you like blindfolded yourself or your partner and then you had to to tell them to walk across the room and there was like mouse traps on the floor or something so it was like a trust exercise on our first night and um we just kind of clicked and i found out that he um was adopted from korea and his parents were white and we were the same age when we were adopted and the same age in life and um, I was just in shock. I was like, I didn't know there were other me's out there. And, um, yeah, that was in 2007 and we are still friends to this day. And I think in that space, I, again, I wouldn't have had the words to say, but looking back, I know that having someone else there with such a similar life story, I just felt like I didn't have to explain myself. And, even down to our names. Like we both had our white middle name and our Korean middle name. And I just was like, oh my gosh, like seeing myself in someone else's story for the very first time, I was shocked. And we will have him on an episode in the future where you'll get to hear his story and we'll kind of interview each other. Um, we've had very different experiences in processing our adoption and our Korean heritage and what that means to us. And so I can't wait for you to get to know him a little bit better. It is just like something changed in me when I met someone who just got me. I, I didn't know how important that was. And it was another step in this journey to really accept fully who I am. So then it was 2013 and I had just come on Young Life staff and was at training and again was processing um just a lot about who I was and I had made the first big move of my life and so with that comes a lot of reflection and 
just understanding your own identity. And I met this woman named Karen and she knew Rob from Young Life in Michigan. And she and I just quickly clicked. I had kind of shared my feelings about realizing that I'd always felt like a plan B and really wanting to be free of that and had asked for prayer. And she had reached out and we um, connected after we came back from training. And just like Rob, she and I had so much in common. Um, We were both living in, grew up in the suburbs and we're doing multi-ethnic ministry and kind of started this beautiful friendship where we found out so much of our story was connected because we experienced such similar things. And I think um, through that friendship, we learned a lot of heartbreak and healing and um, kind of understanding what it was like to have a sister who really understood. And even though we both have siblings, just where we were in our lives just matched up so much. And so you'll get to hear about her in later episodes as well. But just another person that I felt like the Lord had just put into my life at just the right time because um, I couldn't have gotten through a lot of my processing without her. And so um, super grateful for her and the friendship and just... Um, what we kind of went through over the last really seven years. And then this last person that I want to tell you about um, is her name's Kimmy and she's also on Young Life staff. And I was at this going away party for some of our mutual friends in Chicago and her and her twin sister also adopted from Korea um, had gone to Korea and gone through this experience that the adoption agency had offered where they were immersed into Korean culture for a few weeks and had, um, you know, language classes and food and culture and like all these things. And the purpose of the trip wasn't just to like go and find your birth family. It was really to give you kind of this experience in Korea. And so I was asking her briefly about it and, um, she, you know, we're sitting at a, a table at, in the basement of a church and she's kind of pouring her heart out to me. And she says, you know, we got off the plane and, you know, all these Korean people were there and they said, you know, we're so sorry. Um, we grieve all of the babies that were lost and, um, you are Korea, you are us and we love you. And I I get emotional even just thinking about that. And I I think I cried right in front of her. And those were just words I never knew I needed to hear. And maybe for you, maybe you just heard those for the first first time and you needed to hear that too. Um, That there was someone who looked like me who had gone to Korea and talked to people from where I was from. And they said, like, you are part of us. You are Korea. And we love you and we're sorry and we grieve the loss. Um, and so for me, that was just an unexpected, huge step that kind of slammed the door open for me to really start to come to terms with that pain and that hurt that even like going back to when I was, you know, asking Santa Claus for yellow hair 
that there was this part of me, this ache in me that just wanted to hear that, that I belonged and I was loved by this place that I had never seen. And I don't remember, um, but still feel so familiar to who I am. Even in sharing just those three people who I've met and I feel like have been brought into my life, um, I can see just this thread of how different your life is when you see people and know people who are like you, who look like you and just get you. There's just, just this relief that happens, these questions that don't come up, this Um, The nagging feeling of is someone going to say something that's going to trigger something and then how am I going to respond? That just, it doesn't happen with them. And I'm just so very grateful for all three of them and so many more who you'll get to hear about who have really helped me in my journey of becoming chosen. And um, I think one of the most significant things that has happened in the last three years for me is I was at this... um, divisional training and it was called the diversity summit and there was this man there and um, I don't really remember his name but he led us through I mean so many different styles of worship and sign language Spanish German I mean so many some I don't even remember all of them and I remember kind of having like a bad attitude about it because (laughs) That's just part of who I am sometimes. And I just was like rejecting it. And it was just like, I was just like not interested. And one day I went in for worship and I just was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, get over yourself, like participate. Like this is actually amazing. And I'm so glad I did because I, you know, got up for the first song and the slide slipped like you saw it and it said, something in Korean and I just lost it. I lost it. I was sobbing. I was in the Timberwolf uh, club room for those of you who are familiar with young life and I could not get the words out. I was so overwhelmed. I was so just, um, not convicted, but it was like something in my soul was literally healing. And Kimmy, who I just shared about, She was on the other side of the room and she walked all the way over and just kind of held me. And as I heard the hundreds of people in the room singing this worship song in Korean, I had no idea what was being said or sung because I was a crying mess. I could just feel like the Lord telling me like, this is what it will be like one day. Like one day you will get to to sing and worship alongside of your Korean family. And it just, it it did something. It changed me. And it was just like such a sweet moment that, um, I still, I still cry over even to this day. And I'm just, I was so grateful for the people who reached out afterwards and There were so many people around me. They started putting their hands on me. And the reality is most of them had no idea what was going on, but they could sense that it was important and that it mattered. And um, I just felt like that was the moment I was like, I need to stop running away from who I am. And I need to just embrace it because God is, is wanting me to. And 
there is just so much healing in that. And so I came home and just did a lot of praying and journaling and sharing that experience with my friends and my family. And um, I was like, I'm going to eat Korean food. (laughs) That was naturally the next thing I wanted to do. And so um, I found a Korean restaurant and decided that I was going to go eat Korean food. And I did. And it was called bibimbap, which it's kind of like, it's kind of like a Chipotle bowl, but Korean and a lot better. No offense to Chipotle. I do love Chipotle, but, um, when I ate it, um, I, I can't really explain it. It feels like I'm making it up, but something just clicked. It was like, I was tasting something that I was supposed to be tasting my whole life. And, I immediately did some research because if you know me and you'll grow to know me, that's just what I do. Um, I learned that our taste buds are written in our DNA. And so it made sense that it was like, I, I described it as like my taste buds just came to life in a way that they never had before. And eating that Korean food with just kind of a, a renewed and healing soul, it was another pivotal moment of me accepting, um, who I was that this little girl who was constantly wanting to look like everyone else and was always trying to dodge questions because she didn't feel like she belonged. Um, it's something just kind of finally all came together and it was like this deep cleansing breath. And, um, there have been a lot of different times where those things have happened since then but that was probably the most two most significant things that happened to me as I've been walking and trying to claim who I am and understand what it means to be Korean and American and adopted it's not easy facing something that feels so scary and out of reach and so I am just so grateful to Um, the people who have been a huge part of my life in supporting me on this journey. And at some point I want to do an episode where I just honor those people and talk about how in such different phases of life I've had, um, people really there to support me. And so, um, just a early thanks to all of you who've been with me on this journey and will continue, um, for a long time. You know, if I'm being honest, I still haven't figured out quite yet how to end these. And um, this was pretty emotional recording this episode. And it was kind of surprising to me. I wasn't expecting um, to feel that. But I hope what comes across in this is um, genuine and authentic and really just that I am not an expert. I am just someone who is in process and has done a lot of work to get where I'm at and am grateful to have a platform um, to share that and hope that it brings you healing as well. Next week's episode is called Who Are Your Real Parents? And I'm going to be sharing just my experience of when I've been asked those questions and how I've responded and how I've kind of come to terms with what it means to have real parents who you don't look like. So hope you have enjoyed this and Um, You can catch next week's episode coming out on Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Music and anywhere you can find a podcast. So thank you so much for tuning in and have a great day.